Good evening. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians chapter 14, and as you're finding your place, I have to do this because I said that I would, but my brother is traveling right now, so he called and he said, can I live stream your services? And I said, yes, you can. He said, how do I do that? So I explained it to him, and he said, well, if I watch, will you tell me, I, will you tell me hello? And I said, yes, I will. So hello, Eric. All right. That's that. <laughs> brother Randy said he loves you. All right. Now that that's weird and awkward out of the way, we will go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless the service. Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the good week that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for the time that we had yesterday really to celebrate our nation and just to reflect, if we chose to, on your goodness to us. God, we are thankful for the religious freedom and the liberty that we enjoy tonight. I pray that you would help us to take advantage of this time, that you'd help us to grow in our walk with you. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this evening, I know that most of you know this, but I just want to remind us for those who may be uh, a little uncertain as to what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, but we have been watching as uh, the Apostle Paul has been writing to the believers about tongues and the misuse of tongues and how they were doing that in the church body. We know that they had distorted the gift in significant ways, and as a result, they were not edifying the church at all, but rather they were edifying themselves. And so the Apostle Paul has been working through that subject with them, trying to get them to understand its place, its importance, the way it's supposed to be used. And then last week, we looked at just one verse of Scripture there in verse number 20, where he said, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. And essentially what the Apostle Paul was saying to them was this, when it comes to discernment, when it comes to discretion, when it comes to your understanding, you need to grow up. There were no excuses to be made for them. There were no uh, reasons that could be offered as to why they had not done it yet. The only reason that they had not yet grown up in their spiritual lives is because they had made the choice to not grow up. The Apostle Paul made it clear that if you want to grow up, you can. If you don't want to, nobody can force you to do it. And I tried to remind us last week that that need is still present, that need is still in place, that we as God's children need to continue growing in our maturity, we need to continue growing in our understanding, in our discernment, in our perception of things. We need not be immature children, we need to be mature men and women, and there is always room for growth. It doesn't matter how long we've been saved, it does not matter how much knowledge we have acquired, there is always room for spiritual growth, and so, again, that message is relevant to every one of us. Now, tonight I want to begin with a thought that I don't know if everyone could identify with this. I don't know if everyone can relate to this. I would assume that some can. Uh, some probably will. But I'd like to ask you tonight, how many of you have ever made a deal, you have ever made a decision thinking it was a great decision at the time, only to realize later that one didn't work out like I thought it was going to. 
Has it ever happened to you? certainly happened to me, and again, I, I guess it's happened to some of you. You can identify with that. There have been those moments where we were just convinced this is going to be good, this is going to be great, and then given some time, it was an absolute flop. Now, we'll come back to that in the next few moments as we try to do each week uh, whenever I give us a thought to think about. But tonight I want us to think about the believers in Corinth for just a moment. The believers in Corinth, if you think about this, were exposed to the preaching ministries of some pretty incredible individuals. Would you agree? Some had been exposed to the preaching of the Apostle Paul, and really, I don't think many of us could say that we've ever been exposed to a ministry quite like his. We've been exposed to the preaching and to the ministry of some good men, I'm sure. But the Apostle Paul was really, I think, on a level that very few men reach by way of ministry. And yet there were those, obviously, in the Corinthian church who were exposed to his ministry. There were those who were exposed to the ministry of Apollos. There were those who were exposed to the ministry of Peter. And then there were some who, I guess, from what the Scripture indicates, there were some who had been present and maybe who had been a part of the ministry of Christ even. And so here are these people who make up this body of believers there in Corinth. Some have been exposed to Paul and Apollos and Cephas or Peter and of Christ. That is an amazing, amazing influence on the believers there in Corinth. Now as you think about that, tonight... Keep in mind that the believers of Corinth have completely twisted and distorted and perverted and fouled up the subject of tongues, and their immaturity is on full display for us to read about, for everyone to know about. And so in continuing with the subject of tongues, here is what the Apostle Paul wrote in verse number 21. He said, In the law it is written, With men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. And so here is the Apostle Paul, and in the subject of tongues, here is what he does, is he takes them back to the Old Testament and he says, you need to understand this as it relates to the subject of tongues, that it is written there in Isaiah chapter 28, it's verses 11 and 12 is where these verses are dealt with, but it says there in the law or there in the Old Testament it has been written that with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Now if you look in verse number 22 it says this, Wherefore, or because of this, tongues are for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Now, tongues has always meant and will always mean a distinct language, a distinct dialect, correct? Amen. Tongues has never been and will never be, as I have said now repeatedly, it has never been nor will it ever be this unintelligible noise that comes from a person's mouth it has always been a legitimate sign of tongues. It has always been a language that was understood by someone, a dialect that was understood by someone. People were able to know what was being communicated when tongues were being used. So as that is so, with that in mind, 
Paul says to them that tongues were for a sign not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. So what does this mean when you consider verses 21 and 22 together in relation to Isaiah chapter 28? Well, here's what some people believe it means, and I think there's a lot of credit to this, that what Paul was saying is this, is that the subject of tongues, that the gift of tongues, it was given as a sign or a token or, or some kind of a marker for the Jews who were unbelieving, but the Scripture said that they would not believe and that they would not hear, but that the Scripture had, had prophesied and had predicted that tongues would be given for the unbelieving Jews and for the unbelieving Jews only. Now, if somebody were to say, well, it's not just for the unbelieving Jews, then you cannot get around this, and we cannot deny this, that Paul said it is for the unbelievers not believers. And what that would indicate then is this, is that the tongues, as Paul has already mentioned, has never been designed for the purpose of aiding or benefiting or helping the person with the gift of tongues. It has never been and was never designed to edify the person who spoke in tongues. Would we agree with that? All right, and so here is the Apostle Paul continuing his thoughts, continuing his, his, his doctrinalness, doctrine that they needed and doctrine that we need because I've said this repeatedly also because of the charismatic world that we are living in from a religious standpoint. Okay, we need to be reminded of this, what tongues was for. It was for a sign not to believers but to them that believe not. Now, if you look in verse number 23, he said, here is the problem with tongues, especially as they were using it in their day. He said in verse number 23, if therefore the whole church be come together into one place. So what does that mean? It means this, if the body of believers were to come together in an assembly, and he said, and all speak with tongues... Everybody's got a different language, supposedly. Everyone's got a different dialect going, supposedly. If you come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned, or they don't know what's being said, or they are unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? That you're crazy? That you are an... Uh, really just, just a crazy group of people. He said, would that not be the assessment of an unbeliever who were to come into your assembly where everyone was speaking in tongues? Now again, if you've never been a part of a charismatic church, this may seem hard to believe. This may seem hard to comprehend. But I'm telling you that in the charismatic churches, they base so much of their experience on emotionalism. You get everybody emotional, you get everyone excited, you get everybody worked up into a frenzy, and it is thought that the believers in Corinth were doing the exact same thing, that their flesh would get so stirred up that people would begin to speak in these unknown tongues. And Paul said this, now listen, if someone who was an unbeliever or unlearned were to come to your situation and they were to see all this happening and to see all this take place, they would not conclude anything other than this, that you all are nuts. And guess what? He was absolutely correct. It is a chaotic, nutty, 
fruity scene when you see the charismatic church in full effect even today. All right? So he said that's what happens when everyone speaks in their unknown tongues. So in verse number 24, he said this, But if all prophesy, if all prophesy, well, what does it mean for all to prophesy? It means this, if there were to be a declaration of the Word of God, if, if everyone were to speak the Word of God, in, in what kind of a manner? Well, in a manner that everyone could understand. Just makes sense. Going back to what he said in verse number 19, how it would be more profitable to speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. He said, but if it were to be this, that if all prophesy, if they were to all preach, if they were to all to declare God's word, and there come in one that believes not or one unlearned, notice what he said is the effect of the prophesying or the preaching or the declaration of the word of God. He said, first of all, he is convinced of all. What does it mean to be convinced of all? Well, it means this, to be convicted. You know what the Word of God does whenever it's preached accurately? Among so many other things, here's what the Word of God will do. It will convict the person who did not even plan on being convicted. If an unbeliever comes into church, and many times it would also happen for a believer, but we're talking about unbelievers right now. But if an unbeliever were to stumble into a church for whatever reason, they found themselves inside an assembly where there was some preaching going on in a language that the people actually understood. Here is what Paul said will happen as a result of the Holy Spirit working through the preaching of that sermon is that people will be convinced of all. They are going to begin experiencing conviction for an unbeliever, maybe something they had never experienced before. But in addition to that, he said this, not only is he convinced of all, he is judged of all. He is judged of all. What does it mean to be judged of all? Well, it means this, to have one's life investigated or examined. It's as though they are being searched or scrutinized. And, and so the idea, as you look in verse number 25, continues, he said, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. What is Solomon, or well, not Solomon, what is Paul saying? Paul is saying this, that with the prophesying, with the preaching, with the declaration of the Word of God, here's what it does. It begins to investigate a person's life. And it begins to scrutinize a person's life. And it begins to, to search a person's life. And, and it begins to, to really probe into this person's life. And as a result of the preaching of the Word of God, the secrets or the hidden parts of a man's heart, of a woman's heart, is made manifest or made known. How many of us have ever heard someone give a testimony like this, that whenever they went to church and they began hearing the preaching of the Word of God, it was as though the preacher was preaching directly to them? Have you ever heard that? Some of you have expressed those thoughts before. Some people have said things like this, you know, to the preacher, who told you what I was struggling with? Who told you what I was dealing with? Who told you what I was guilty of this week? Well, you and I both know that nobody informed the preachers to what was going on in that individual's life, right? 
Okay, how did that happen? How did such a transaction take place? The transaction of that nature took place because that is what the preaching of the Word of God does. It begins to convict, and it begins to convict because it begins to investigate, and it begins to scrutinize, and it begins to reveal, and it begins to open up, and it begins to show, it begins to shine this bright light on a person's sin, so much so that a person cannot deny that message or that word, it was for me, if for no one else. We've all been there, have we not? And I've been there sometimes, and I've thought, how did that preacher know? I mean, I've been saved for 25, 30 years. How did that preacher know to, to touch on that and to deal with that and to address that? Go back and check Susie's phone and make sure she wasn't texting him saying, hey, preach on this the next... I was just teasing, Tams. <laughs> I'm just saying that is what preaching does. It investigates, it begins to shine the light, it begins to reveal, and the most hidden secrets of our heart, the things that we wrestle with maybe that no one else would know, that nobody else would be told about, it begins to reveal those things. And so notice what he said after that. And so falling down on his feet, uh, on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. So what does biblical preaching produce in the life of an unbeliever? It produces conviction brought about by an exposure of their sin, an exposure of their sin that they cannot deny. And so if they were to go into an environment where it was based all on emotion, all on feeling, all on feel-good mentalities and 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 spirits such of that, if they were to go into that kind of an environment, they would leave saying those people are mad, those people are crazy, those people are weird, whatever their assessment may be. But if they found themselves under the preaching of the Word of God, here is what they would say. They would say that, that the Lord, that God is in you of a truth. There's something different here than what's present over there. We following this? All right. So that is a wonderful thing, is it not? What Bible preaching produces in the heart and life of an unbeliever, especially if they will humble themselves and respond to the preaching of the Word of God? It, it really is a wonderful thing what Bible preaching produces. But if we go back to verse number 22 and just follow the thoughts here, here's what we see. That though preaching is obviously necessary for the salvation of a soul to take place because they have to hear the Word of God in order to see a need of salvation, though that is a wonderful aspect and byproduct of the preaching of the Word of God, Paul said this, Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not, but prophesying serveth, not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. What does he say the purpose of prophesying is? The purpose of prophesying is to serve primarily the one who has already believed. Does this make sense? 
Does preaching convict men of sin? Yes, it does. Does it reveal sin? Does it expose sin? Does it investigate and scrutinize a lost person's life and bring them to a point where they say, God is in you of a truth? Yes, it does. But what preaching is really designed to do is to serve the hearer of the preaching of the Word of God. See, the reason that preaching takes place is so that you and I, according to Paul in this letter already, the purpose of preaching is so that you and I might be edified. Now, if somebody were to come into the church tonight who is lost, who is living in sin, who is away from God, if they were to come into church tonight and hear the preaching of the Word of God and their sin was exposed and they were brought to a place of repentance, that is fantastic and we would rejoice in that. But the point of the preaching is for you and I to be served so that we might be edified or built up. It's kind of like the Apostle Paul is saying this, Hey, listen, without the preaching of the Word of God, edification does not take place. Edification does not take place with emotion. Edification doesn't take place with feelings. It doesn't take place with everybody working themselves into a frenzy. That is not where edification takes place. Edification takes place when the preaching of the Word of God takes place. If you look in verse number 3, the Apostle Paul said this, But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men not only to edification and exhortation and comfort. The prophesying, the preaching, the declaration of the Word of God not only builds us up, it exhorts us, it reproves us, it rebukes us, and it encourages us, and it helps us in ways that nothing else can. I know that we don't always like being reproved and exhorted. It's not always enjoyable, but Paul said that's what it does. It's necessary, it's vital, it's important in the preaching of the Word of God. Besides edifying and exhorting, it also comforts us. I'm not going to re-preach the message from a few weeks ago, but we ought to at least remember a little bit of it, that this is what the preaching of the Word of God. It builds up, it exhorts, and it comforts us. That is what preaching does, and that is what is supposed to happen for you and I through the preaching of the Word of God. I think I've said this before. I don't know how I could have not said it in times past. But without the Word of God, a preacher has nothing to offer anyone. You understand this? Without the truth of God's Word, I have nothing to give you that will help you. Without the preaching of the Word of God, I have nothing to give you that will really exhort you or rebuke you or reprimand you. Without the truth of God's Word, I don't have anything that could be an encouragement to you. The only reason that I can be what I'm supposed to be and the only reason that any preacher can be what they're supposed to be is if they choose to preach the Word of God in the way that it is designed to be preached. So you've got the believers in Corinth. And who are the tongues for? It's for the unbelievers. That's what it is. It's a sign for the unbelievers. Most likely meant to be a sign for the unbelieving Jews. It was never designed to be a gift for the believer. It just wasn't. 
Because all that would do, and you say you're repeating yourself, I know because I'm going somewhere with this. Because the only thing that tongues would do is build the individual up, but it certainly does not build the church up. And tongues, when used in the manner in which they were using it, it did not bring people to a knowledge of sin and a knowledge of salvation as they were using the gift of tongues, so-called, it was actually a repellent to the lost. Because they thought, they're crazy. So what does Paul tell them? Paul tells them this. Hey, listen, preaching is what you need. Prophesying is what you need. It is prophesying that is for the believer more so than the unbeliever. Yes, the unbeliever is convicted. Yes, the unbeliever has his sin exposed. Yes, that is what will draw them. But the preaching of the Word of God is for you, the believer, so that you might be edified, exhorted, and encouraged. Now think about the superiority of preaching. Not only is it true, period, end of discussion, they were exposed to the preaching ministries of who? Of the Apostle Paul, of Peter, of Apollos, and some even of Christ. Friends, they were exposed to a preaching that no doubt was at a level and I'm not looking for any kind of a weird compliment afterward, they were exposed to a level of preaching that you're not hardly ever exposed to unless it's just an unusual outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You understand this? This is what they were exposed to on a regular basis. This is what they got to enjoy on a regular basis. This is what they had in their hands. And you know what they did? They exchanged it for emotions and feelings and flesh. What felt good to them, what made them happy, what made them excited. They had the preaching of the Word of God and they exchanged it or they traded it for something inferior. Because they believed it was a good deal. But you know what Paul is telling them as he's writing all this? He's reminding them, hey, listen, you didn't make a good deal on this one. When you began substituting tongues for the preaching of the Word of God, when you began getting all worked up into a frenzy instead of the preaching of the Word of God, when you got more excited about 10,000 words that no one understood than you got excited about five words that actually were understood, he said, listen, when you began to make that trade-off, you did not trade for something better. You traded for something far worse, far insignificant, Far, far, much farther inferior because tongues is not for you. It is for the unbeliever, but you have made it all about you. Now, I don't know if you can see where this is headed or not. I hope that you can. But for those who may be saying, I am confused. All right, 
Here we go. All right. Tonight, you know that I believe that tongues is certainly not at all what the modern-day charismatic movement presents it to be. You understand that, right? If you don't know that by now, let me just say one more time, the modern-day charismatic movement is a joke. You can't say that. Yes, I can, because it's not in line at all with the teaching of the Scripture. All right? So the modern-day charismatic movement, for probably the last 50, 60, 70 years, whenever it became popular again... It is not at all scriptural, it is not at all biblical, and it is something that needs to be avoided like the plague. Now here is why. Because those wrapped up in the charismatic movement, I would not say this of every one of them, but I would say this of many of them, here is what has happened. They have decided to trade off preaching For something that is not biblical, something that is not scriptural, but it certainly feels good, it certainly stirs the emotions, and it will certainly work you into an excited frenzy. But here is the problem that the charismatic movement is guilty of, and other denominations are slowly marching toward. Here is what has happened. They have traded that which edified the church and edified the believer for that which edifies themselves. Now, I'm sure that that in their mind, it's a good trade. And it was a wise move, and it was a good decision because people feel good, and they're excited, and they're happy, and and everyone's emotional. The problem is this, is that without the preaching of the Word of God, there's no edification, there's no exhortation, there's no encouragement. There are none of those things needed that would build the believer or even expose the sin of a lost person in an assembly should they find themselves there. So you sit here tonight and you say, well, Brother Kyle, hello, Uh, we're not exactly charismatic here. I got you. Trust me, I know how uncharismatic we are sometimes. I'm part of the, the equation, okay? I know that we are not charismatic per se, but understand, please, the struggle in that principle exists even in churches of our stripe, of our uh, of uh, of who we are. You say, well, what do you mean, Brother Kyle? I, I mean this. As you look at the religious landscape of our nation, I don't know how else to say this, and, and I think if you listen to people talk, here's what you would de- determine as well, and, and that is this, that there seems to be less and less of an emphasis placed on preaching. There's less emphasis on preaching, and there is more emphasis on other things that will substitute for the preaching, but it'll be just as good. No, it won't. Because it is the prophesying of the Word of God that edifies and exhorts and encourages, and that is the only thing that gives the edification and the exhortation and the encouragement that we as believers need. 
So see, we have in our church ranks today, even those who would not identify themselves as charismatics, we have things like this. Well, here's what we're going to do on Wednesday nights. We're going to kind of back away from the preaching. And what we're going to do is we're going to use that for discipleship. And we're going to use that for, for children's church training. And we're going to use that for choir practice. And we're going to use this for small groups. And, and, and here's what we're going to do. We're just going to get a whole lot more accomplished by not focusing so much on the preaching of the Word of God. And when the church decides to do that, you know what they've decided to do? They have decided to go to something that is inferior and something that will never do in the lives of the believer what needs to be done. How many times have we heard people say things like this? Well, my kids, you know, we're looking for programs for the kids. Listen, I... I Somebody asked me the other day, they said, are you one of those preachers that believes most of your counseling can get done from the pulpit? I said, I hate the way that sounds, but yes, I am one of those preachers. See, and, and, and here's what's happened. Well, you know, my kids, they just can't sit through church. My kids just don't get much from church. Listen, I understand that kids may not get everything you might want them to get from a church service, but I can promise you our kids have never been hurt by sitting through a preaching service rather than being entertained for 45 minutes. Well, you know, over at that church, they've got game systems and they're really excited over there and, and they play lots of games and they have lots of fun and, and, and they have great coloring books and, you know, all this stuff. You know, and, and then they have a little Bible lesson for them. That's exactly what it is. It was a little Bible lesson for them. And here's what we did for our kids. We gave them a lot of hype. We gave them a lot of excitement. We gave them a lot of emotion. We worked them up to a frenzy many times. But we did not give them the preaching of the Word of God. I have to be honest and tell you I'm thankful that I grew up before youth group got popular. I'm not against youth groups. I'm not against things on the level of the children. That's why we do Sunday school. That's why we do a junior church, is to help introduce the, the truths to the children on a very basic level in, in hopes that they'll begin to grasp it. But I'm just saying this, just so that you know, I'm not interested in this church ever developing a separate ministry so as to keep kids from the preaching of the Word of God. Because whether we realize it or not, our kids need what's happening and what's taking place right here. Well, my kid's just going to sleep through church anyway. That's a whole other issue. <laughs> it's a whole other issue. You can teach a kid to stay awake just so you know. It's possible. Because then you're teaching your children, hey, you know what, this is important. See, and even from the, listen, from the preaching of the Word of God, even if your kids didn't get everything, here's what you're able to do if you leave church and you take it, you know, serious if you decide to. You could say things like this. Hey, son, hey, daughter, did you, did you happen to catch what Brother Kyle said in the sermon tonight? What did you think about that? And sometimes the kids catch more than we realize they catch. I'm just saying, 
If you look at our religious landscape, we have churches who are substituting everything they can think of for the preaching of the Word of God. They are doing it for the adults. They are doing it for the kids. And they think it's going to go well. And I promise you, give that attitude enough time and that church will be as messed up as the church in Corinth was. They had some of the best, most well-known greatest premier preachers you could have in their day. And when they said, you know what, we're more into emotions and feelings and, and, and hype, that's what we're interested in, I can promise you this, that is when the church began to take a downward turn because you cannot replace the preaching of the Word of God with anything and it do what only preaching can do. Brother Kyle, you're just saying that because you're the preacher. No. What did the Apostle Paul say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He said, prophesying serveth not for them that believe not, but for them which believe. So this is just one of those little friendly reminders. You know, you, you, you work with people. And they may ask you from time to time, so what kind of activities does your church have? Trust me, I know the feeling. You start getting nervous and you start feeling anxious because we don't have this wow kids program and we don't have this incredibly happening youth department and we don't have all this fun and excitement. And you start to say things like, well, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, that's when we need to just with some boldness say, you know what, we're really not too ministry driven in that manner. And what we like to do at our church is just preach the word. Feel free to tell them, hey, our, our preacher's not perfect, and our preacher stumbles over his words sometimes when he gets too excited, and, and he says some things that he probably shouldn't say, like, you know, certain words that his wife said don't say on a Wednesday night, you know? Because that happened tonight on the way to church. She said, hey, don't use these three words. Remember, kids will sometimes repeat that. And I'm thinking it's no big deal. But, but you can tell people, you know, sometimes he says words like shut up and dummy and things like that. And, and, and it just, it's what happens. And he stutters. And, and, but we like to emphasize preaching at our church. Amen. And if some family member says, well, what do you have going on at your church? Don't get nervous. Don't get ashamed. Don't get bashful and say, well, you probably wouldn't enjoy it. No, that's when you need to step up and say, well, I can promise you this. After we sing for a few minutes, our preacher's going to try to preach as best he can because that's what we need is the preaching of the Word of God. So will we leave here tonight overly excited about the music? Mm, probably not. Will our kids leave here tonight on a sugar high because of how we've entertained them? Obviously not. Are they going to leave here from the youth department bragging about the high score they got in a certain game system? Not at all. But if we can leave here tonight saying this, I heard from the Word of God. I was edified. I was exhorted. I was encouraged. If we can leave here on a regular basis saying that took place at church today, then you know what? Our church service has been a success. Because our assembly should be about the prophesying, the preaching, the declaration of the Word of God, and nothing else.
And I'm not trying to be ugly. I mean this. I'm not trying to be ugly. But if the preaching of the Word of God is not what attracts people to this church, then we are not the church for them. And again, I don't say that with some kind of a proud spirit. I'm just saying this. Based upon what the Scripture says, it really is all about the declaration of the Word of God. And that's what we ought to be concerned and consumed with. So you leave here tonight. What happened? Uh, We just got preached to. It's what we needed. Even if I wasn't the preacher tonight, what did we need? We just needed some preaching. And Sunday night, what do we need? Preaching. On those nights that we're having the fifth Sunday fellowships, I've had people ask us before, have you ever thought about doing this? Have you ever thought about having people outside getting everything ready so that we don't have to wait? Oh, yeah, I've thought about it but we're not going to do it. Why? Because everybody needs preaching. Amen. Preaching, the prophesying. It exposes sin, it reveals sin in the life of an unbeliever, and that's great. But prophesying is what serves us for the purpose of edification, exhortation, and comfort. We need preaching and nothing else. Just a healthy reminder so that we don't get sucked into this mentality of replacing it with something else because it will never, ever be a good trade-off when that happens. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you would help us to give attention to the example of the believers of Corinth. Lord, they got off track. It's very clear. It's very obvious. Whenever they traded the preaching for the flesh, when they traded the preaching for the excitement and the hype and the zeal, there was nothing there except edification of self in that. And God, I pray that you'd help us as a church to stay faithful to the prophesying of your word. I pray that you would help us to be a people who stays hungry for the preaching of your word. God, that we would never make the mistake of substituting your word declared for something else. I pray that you'd bless the invitation now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.